When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Cultivating Success Podcast. Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson are brothers and business partners of the top landscaping company, Nature's Experts. Nature's Experts is home to six companies that cater to all your outdoor needs. To learn more about Jeff and Jonathan, simply visit us at www.naturesexperts.com. On the podcast, Jeff and Jonathan bring together other business owners and entrepreneurs to share with you how they developed a prosperous company and how you can too. You will gain insights and meaningful advice on creating the building blocks to success and longevity in the entrepreneurial realm. And now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson. Jonathan, thank you for joining us on the Cultivating Success Podcast today. I am very excited to have you here. I don't know about Jeff, but I am very excited to have you here today. I'm very excited. <laughs> to discuss landscaping. Again, we love to discuss business with people in our industry particularly so we can obviously help ourselves and help the whole community advance and learn from one another to figure out different and unique ways to obviously help our industry. Great. So yeah. Joining us today. Yeah. I'm happy to be here and uh, I'm always eager to learn. And so I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, education in the landscaping industry, and I don't really feel like every field has this, really has a really abundant options of advancing your knowledge base, particularly in Florida, around University of Florida. They've really done an unbelievable job in giving educational courses that you don't have mm. to go to college for. They're actually just courses that they actually offer to people mm -hmm. in the industry to learn about current bugs, do soil samples. There's... Um, you know, arborist courses you can obviously take in Florida. So I feel like we're very lucky to be in Florida where we have all these different particular options to advance our education. Well, that and we have uh, just so many different microclimates to work with to create beautiful spaces. So it's a, it's a really neat place to live. Tell us about your business, Jonathan. How did it start? Uh, so I own a business called Lawnmower and it began in 97. Or just That's so right. Okay. So it's a uh, pun on the word lawn mower. Uh, and it's uh, we do your lawn and more is the idea. Oh, and uh, so it began with uh, a lawn mower. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, more. Yeah. So the idea was we wanted to do more than just lawn maintenance. And so over time, we've actually become more and more of a landscape design company. And I would say at this point, unintended. Pun was absolutely intended. Absolutely yes. <laughs> intended. Okay, good. Yes. I, I have dad jokes and I like to punish people. So uh, this was... Like him. Yes. He likes the same thing. Yes. Punish me. As long as I'm laughing, yeah. it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, the uh, the at this time, we're, we're in the, the process of transitioning to having uh, design build that we can do in multiple areas. And uh, we haven't let it escape our thoughts that we might change the name in the future just to make it easier to relate that we are actually more of a landscape design company than actual lawn maintenance company. But when I was a kid, we started as a lawn maintenance company. And then over the years, it's kind of grown and morphed. 
So let's take a, let's take a breath there for a second. What do you feel is more beneficial being a installation company versus a maintenance company? What are the pros and what are the cons you see? Um, so the, the cons I see for, uh, and I guess I should start with pros. The pros for lawn maintenance is it's a low bar of entry. That's also the con. Uh, the pro to uh, lawn care is you can get out there and get work if you're motivated and you can build a business and be an owner operator. Uh, again, that can be a con if you're trying to scale something because the it, it kind of, I think the primary con I see in lawn maintenance if you're trying to uh, scale is that it's challenging to have a profitable business because uh, the margins stay so tight because there's so many people willing to get into the field and compete at a lower dollar uh, than you might get for a landscape install company where it's a a higher level of expertise, plant knowledge is necessary. Uh, There has to be a lot of experience and knowledge of uh, how to do layout, how to do sales, and then the actual execution of the project, having a good, well-trained team around you, and uh, also having good uh, reps that can come in and help you uh, with installs for the areas that you may not be able to do yourself. So having those other folks you can bring in to, to collaborate on projects. So when you're referring to the lawn maintenance, there's two <clears throat> different you know sectors of it. There's residential and there's commercial. Do you feel like both sectors of the business are particularly the same, or do you think there's differences as far as the pros and cons are considered in your in your position? Yeah, I think the, you know, from <clears throat> from my experience, we've done primarily residential. And so on the residential side, one of the pros I've seen is you get to be with people for a really long period of time. You almost become like a family member and uh, there's a lot more opportunities to create deeper relationships with, the, with your client base. Uh, my experience with commercials, it's stable, but a little bit more cutthroat on the pricing. So doesn't mean that I'm right. It's just been my experience. But we we have done some commercial, but most of our business has been residential. So I think that, you know, all of your points are right. But then there's also the nuances of each point, right? So there's in the commercial field, right? Each particular building, office, shopping center, et cetera, can be very fickle right? Mm -hmm. Just like any customer can. But you can also have one customer that you have a good relationship with that has Mm -hmm. five, 10 or multiple buildings of whatever sort that you obviously can capitalize on. Mm -hmm. Obviously you can take one relationship and you can multiply it into into many. Obviously nurturing the relationship, adding on different design services and all that stuff. Mm. I think it's, uh, you know, I think that every particular segment of the business really has a lot of opportunity and you really have to gravitate towards, you know, after you've done it, you have to gravitate towards what you're really most passionate about. Because I do think that the installation side of the business particularly is you are dealing with a little higher caliber of companies that you're competing against. The only problem is that even at the highest level uh, of installations, there's always the guy who does things that is so unbelievably cheap and you don't even understand how they do it. But yes, you guys, speaking, you guys are speaking about the industry like it's just one brushstroke. It's not. It's so many different sectors. For example, our particular niche is we do high end and ultra high end. So we don't deal with a lot of what you're talking about, Jonathan, specifically. We okay. don't really deal with um, 
people that are, we do deal with people that are lowballing. That does happen even at the people that are at the level that we are at and the level of the clients that we are servicing, but we don't deal with basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that point of entry, you can't just enter the market where we are. When you said before, well, someone can just enter the market, become an owner operator. I don't think it's quite as simple when you're at the sort of uh, stage that we're at. It's not that we're better than anybody, but this is the particular niche that our companies, you know, this is what but we this do. also depends where you live. You know, if you live in Naples, then you obviously could pick an area in Naples that you only want to do residential. If you live in but uh, Naples, just so you know, Naples and Sarasota and even Tampa, they have areas that you could do high end and ultra high end there also. I mean, it's yeah, South Florida, like those areas and Orlando also. Um, you know, even though there's so much commerce there and there's so many, you know, it's just more difficult because there's less of it. Per company per capita, which means that obviously it's more competitive or harder. Yeah, to get I to. mean, in South Florida, there's so much high end and you ultra can take, high end. You can yes. take all the way through take a slice. West Palm Beach, yeah. all the way through Miami, and just follow the intercoastal. Take start at Jupiter and go all the way. Yeah, just like just follow the intercoastal, pretty like, much. Like three more municipalities, and those are loaded with them. Also, it's just a, it's it's a really ripe area for what we do. There's tons of challenges and everything with it, of course, and it's a business like anything else. It has its good and bad points. But just specifically isolating what you said, Jonathan, about a point of entry and becoming an owner operator and stuff like that. It's funny because a lot of people who look at landscaping uh, from the outside do think of it as just one big glop. It's just like, Mm -hmm. you're in the landscaping business, but really there's so many different spaces inside the big space. You know, I have a question for you. So does anybody ever ask you, well, you're a landscape designer you know, are you a landscape architect? They assume you're a landscape architect and why not become a landscape architect? Or is that really not necessary for you? I have a landscape architect that we bring in on projects that we need them for, but to be a landscape architect requires uh, a degree from, from school. Yeah. And uh, my degree was in history and Asian studies. And uh, I just uh, never went into uh, right. landscape architecture. I was more right. self-taught on in the field and learned how to design and learned how to use design software and programs. So you're a landscape designer, but you're really a businessman, aren't you? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you, not that a landscape architect can't be a business person, but it seems like you're a real uh, business is on your mind because your design and creative you run a company, you're talking about being surrounded by a really good team. Those were your words. And then also mm-hmm. sub a landscape architect when you need one to qualify. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's very good. So I think I'm I'm understanding you know, what you're all about. I think it's interesting because a lot of people in the industry, you know, you either sort of get pigeonholed as you're really creative and you're in the land- landscape industry and that's all you do or you're just in it for the business. I think someone like you that says that you're a landscape designer and you are, and you are doing it to do business also, I think that, you know, you can make more money and uh, get a lot more out of it. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you guys, so what did you do 
to kind of scale your business and get in uh, more with uh, luxury clients. And before you answer, you know, a lot of the areas you mentioned on the coast are a little bit different than what we see in Gainesville. Yeah. But even on the coast, I mean, I, I live in Sarasota, my business is in Gainesville, but I also spend a lot of time in Naples and Jupiter. There are companies like yours that are larger that do have a, a system in place, but there's still going to be Joe Blow with sure. a truck and a trailer out there, there. Comp- yeah, you know, yeah. in some of those neighborhoods, cutting grass, getting yeah. started, cutting yeah. prices. Yeah. But here just to your point, how do you pr- create uh, a business that's successful that gives value to customers and helps p- them want to buy in at a luxury or a high uh, commodity value? Well, so, I'll let you take this. Sure. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Um, so so <laughs> our our business model originally, when we first started, we had, uh, it was seven flower shops. We subbed out landscape maintenance. We subbed out tree work and we did holiday decorating and lighting. Okay. We did 15 years ago. And we subbed out pest control. And we subbed out pest control. And from there, the the motto was diversification. So how do we continue to diversify? How do we continue to add different streams of revenue? So the first thing that we decided that we needed to do was we're like, you know, it is very risky to be subbing out work to somebody. Someone else is in control. That's their relationship that they could be building with your particular customer that they could steal. It could be um, uh, that they just don't want to do business with you or they raise their prices. So the first thing that we did was we actually started looking for a business because we're like, we had a lot of business that we were currently doing. We were doing like a few hundred thousand dollars a year and maintenance, if I recall, or maybe a million dollars. You're way off. How much was it? It's not like you to be way off on something like that. Uh, we were actually at a couple of million dollars of revenue that we were doing for tree work, pest control, fertilization, landscape maintenance, landscape installation. And that was, and that was primarily sub. Let me tell you why. Because you know what Threckle does now and you remember what it was doing. So you're talking about millions of dollars. Yeah. Right. So, uh, at the time, we were subbing out this work, and we thought it was very risky. So we we're like, you know, we really do need to look at maybe buying instead of starting our own company. We really need to look at actually buying a company maybe that's already set up that could absorb the work, and that through absorbing the work, obviously that company would be more profitable, and then at the same time they would have some management and some systems in place to obviously help us with really understanding, um, you know, how to best service our particular customers at the time. Uh, it was only commercial customers that we really had. And we were looking just to see like what was the best particular opportunity. So looking at all the opportunities, there was a lot of bad ones and a lot that were just too small. And mm-hmm. when things are too small, particularly, it really does take too much work. So we were looking and um, we had purchased a bucket truck and we purchased this bucket truck. We let our subcontractor use it. He was doing work at this one property across from this tree company. This tree professional actually ended up writing us a letter saying, hey, I'm selling my business. Are you guys interested? Mm. So we didn't find a landscaping company at the time, but this tree company approached us and we're like, oh, wow. Like this company's been around since 1978 uh, or something like that at the time. he's was one of the first arborists in Florida. Uh, his name was Jim Sherlock. He was like the 
you know, 300th Arborist or something like that. It was really like one of the first ones kind of, and has really grown up in this industry and had a great reputation. So we're like, wow, this might be, this might be something. So at the time he was only doing $400,000 a year in business, this tree company. 455. Mm -hmm. 455. Thank you. This is called, Jonathan, this is called fact checking right here. Okay. Okay. I tell the story. He fact checks this. Yeah. I don't mean, I don't mean to be annoying. It's okay. This is fact checking. Yeah. So, (laughs) so, um, we ended up buying this tree company. It really wasn't what exactly we were looking for. And it didn't really solve the problem that we had particularly. Um, we did some tree work. So obviously that tree work went to the tree company, but didn't really solve the problem that we had still. So uh, through having the tree company, we're like, you know what? It's a really good opportunity. We got it for a very good price. Calculated we, purchased the, we purchased the um, property as well. And we thought, you know, hey, with the property, you know, we technically could move the landscaping company in there also. So, you know, maybe once we find the right landscaping company, we can move them in there. And that really solves the problem because you have a property, you have a business, so on and so forth. Uh, what happened though was the tree company was much more time consuming than we realized. We had not owned a tree company before that. And the, you know, obviously, like any business, there's some seasonality in the landscaping industry, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's more cuts in the summer or less cuts in the winter. Uh, same thing in the tree company. People are much more prone to doing tree work before hurricane season, which, you know, is a range of six, eight months. And, um, you know, we, we made it through our first winter. <laughs> where it was extremely difficult. We almost, we literally had almost no jobs for the crews to go to work. I was one of the people that were on the crew, um, mm. but we definitely ended up growing way past that, well past that and grew the company and it, it's doing very well. So through that though, once we really started to get a strong foothold, I would say we did, after we did a million dollars, we started looking for a landscaping company. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I want to say something else. I think that a key... <laughs> A key to your answer to the answer to your question also is if you do not have a really strong sales ability, whoever mm-hmm. is the owner operator to use your term, um, you are not, you're going to sink mm-hmm. in our situation. I think in most John, there were times we, you and I've talked about this. There were like so few jobs that were on the board. We didn't understand, like John said about the seasonality of it. We would not have gone out and hustled and really gotten work, we would not have made it to bridge that's until a, it got that's busier a, again. That's a, that's a good point, obviously, before we move Because a lot of people sit and they wait for the phone to ring. We did not do that. Hmm. I think that if you're someone who has that get up and go and you have sales ability, mm-hmm. you can't make it if you don't. Speak to that. What were some of the things or strategies you did to drum up business when things got slow? So we purchased the business in October. It had like a good amount of work, it had like a couple weeks worth of work or something like that, which was relatively normal at the time. And or it might have been booked out for like the month. And um, I started being trained by the other owner, how the sales were, the prices in which that we charged, so on and so forth. Made lots of sense. The phone definitely rang at the time. And we were able to convert people, but it was a lot of work because I was in the, you know, Jeff was running uh, primarily our other business. I was actually ordering flowers. I was the person who ordered flowers for all the different flower shops. So I was doing that with working in the field, answering the phone, paying the bills, paying the guys, doing mm-hmm. all of that. And, um, you know, we got to the winter and we were still like a couple of weeks out, right? But a couple of weeks really isn't so much, you know? 
Yeah. So, you know, there was, we had clipboards on the wall. So I always like to have like the wall full of clipboards because it was like, we have enough, you know what I mean? So, but we had a couple, couple rows. So we had like, you know, a couple weeks booked out and then we were just, the phone wasn't ringing at the time. This is when we first, you know, bought the business. So you're kind of just buying what the business has at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was like right around, was it right around Christmas time? Back checker. It was, yeah. It was in the dead in the dead of winter here in South Florida, which is really kind of an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, I remember actually specifically, we ended up getting a job, and it was a job where it was actually well underpriced, but we wanted to keep all the guys working. Yeah. So originally, back in 2013, it was fifty dollars a man per hour. It was $250 an hour for a four-man crew. For a day, it was $2,000. This was okay. 2013. Right. And um, that's what we charged. So there's this one customer. His name was Shamsu. Right. Oh and it was off Griffin. God. It was off Back Checker. Is that correct? It was off of Griffin Road. And that it was correct? right near no, the... No, you're just supposed to say if it's correct. It is. And it was right near the Turnpike. Yes, sir. Yes. So uh, they were like developing a hotel that's actually there right now. Okay. Um, but there were like some branches that they wanted to cut back. I can't believe I remember. They wanted name. to cut back and um, they wanted to price them. I explained to them, you know, this is something where like, it's really just more like, how much do you want to spend on the job? You right. Know? Like, I think you need to do whatever. So I felt like I was selling the customer on it. And the guy, they didn't really need to do the work, but they wanted to do the work. Right. So he ended up like beating us down to like $1,600 or 1700 1700 Fact checker. Uh, yeah. So yeah. we ended up taking the work because we had no, we literally had no other work. Okay. And the wait a minute, and the work was like three weeks of work. I don't remember if that's correct. Fact checker. Okay, so let's settle on two weeks. We'll have to check our we'll have to check our records back in. Are you saying you're saying that you did two weeks of work for one day less than a day's pay? No, we did it each day. Was no, like we okay adjusted okay. our daily rate from the two thousand. Okay, just so you could keep your crew in place. Correct. Yeah. So we did it call it two weeks. The fact checker can't confirm. <laughs> so call it two weeks. And we felt like that was like a buffer for we can like, we like really need to go after sales. Yeah. So Jeff started contacting people that we had that were maintenance customers, getting business to come our way. I was okay. looking through old files, looking for customers. Calling people from way, a year before that we did. Calling customer from a year before. Yeah. And um, we ended up actually just getting other jobs and started to roll and, and move from there where it definitely added from the beginning of the business where it was more about transitioning and learning and all that stuff to being much more proactive of ensuring that we're feeding the business mm -hmm. with business um, at that point. So that was really luckily in 2013, the only real scare that we had was that actual specific time where we almost literally ran out of business. And the thing is, what would have happened really? Honestly, nothing. The guys would have not worked for like a week. And then yeah. they would have probably came back. We only had four employees. So it's like, you know, how much is really at risk, particularly? I think mentally, though, what it does to you is the biggest thing because you yeah. feel like, gosh, you're out of business in a way. Yeah. Like, what kind of business is this? Like, what is this? Like, what the hell's going on here? What did I buy? What did I? Yeah. Right. I that, you know, thank you, fact checker, for and expressing. I, and I think that by um, getting that business and getting that that sale from Shamsu, I think was always like, yes, like, look what we can do. It gives you like a real shot in the gut. Right. Um, like, wow. Look what we can do, you know, stuff like that. And I think those mental things um, are so important. They're like everything 
in my opinion, because that's really, you know, what, what helps drive me. I'm sure what drives most people. What about mm-hmm. you? Have you had a time in your business that's been sort of like, you know, where it was like really lean and you sort of didn't know what to do and, you know, you were worried. Boy, I mean, I think as a business owner, you spend more time anxious than uh, you'd like. And there's the biggest change that's happened in our business is we went from me being essentially that owner operator, Bubba in a truck to learning how to let go and learning how to build people in the team to uh, really ensure that we have not only good managers, but that we have uh, team players that are working in our crews that are just uh, amazing players, amazing people to work with. And I got to this sense of burnout where there's been lean times, but the things that have been the most effective or most transformative in, in my life has been hitting the wall and getting to that point of burnout and recognizing that uh, I used to love doing maintenance, but got to the point where I needed to do something different. And that's where I started to transition to landscape design and re- kind of revitalized my passion for the, the business itself. And then now, you know, having had this business for 25 years, and it's still a small business in respect to where you guys are, it's a small business, but it's a uh, business where I'm more focused on how can we have a uh, really solid growth that's going to develop people and is going to give a great product and is going to show a concern and a care for our customers. You do and, maintenance anymore at all? Yes. Yeah, we still do maintenance, but that's You're becoming... You're selective on it now, probably. So I would say that similar to what you mentioned, like that we go toward that high-end client. So we're trying to essentially transition to where we are only taking on projects that are going to be doing uh, ongoing landscape enhancement service. And even those folks that we do maintenance for have to be someone that's going to be either doing a landscape installation or has done a landscape installation. I think that's a good target customer for, I yeah. think, anybody. You know, the different phases that you start in business, they're supposed to be phases, you know. The entry-level stage of of landscaping where you just do work at a profitable rate based upon whatever your expenses are, mm-hmm. I think. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, right. you have to continue to aspire to the different phases of the business. So the next phase would be getting out of the truck, Right. Right. And what customers will pay the additional money to allow mm-hmm. to have more overhead for you to be able to do that. That brings right. you into another category. And then the next category is where is it more profitable, right? It's more profitable when customers are doing enhancements when you're already there. It's mm-hmm. more profitable when you're able to sub out or perform additional services, right. pest control mm-hmm. and tree trimming. Those are better customers. Mm-hmm. Then, you're, then you're obviously making more money out of each customer because that's ultimately the goal is that, you know, you can obviously have a much larger value rate per customer for how their, whatever their, you know, lifelong value might be for our industry, which I would say maximum is, you know, seven to 10 years probably Yeah, to have a customer. What are some of the things that you guys do to uh, essentially be able to keep the quality of the work at such a level that you get buy-in from your customers and uh, be able to do more projects with them? So I think that's a great question. To kind of, I'm not going to go too much more into the other story. Uh, 
with when we were at the tree company, but it plays into your answer. So with the tree company specifically, we did grow it to a certain point where I think we were doing around $3 million in sales. And we started looking again at that point because the tree company had become very, very, very profitable. So we, since it was so profitable, we were like, we really need to start you know, solving this other problem again. And I think that it only happened in like two years. Yeah, quick. It was like two, was quick. two years or so. Back checker. <laughs> You're saying you got it uh, from a 400,000 to 3 million in two years? Yes. Approximately, yeah. So um, at that time, we reached out to our business broker that, we've, that we spoke to and asked them, you know, which businesses are for sale. So, you know, you get a list. Doesn't say the names of the companies. When you, have you ever purchased a business? No. This broker? So no, I haven't. It, you get like a redacted list. So say there's 10 companies, it tells you what their gross is. It tells you what their adjusted net is with you know the owner's expenses added back into it. And it gives you like a little bio about each company, like to see if you're interested. And then obviously from that, you can say, you know, uh, number one, I'd like more information. Number three, number five, so on and so forth. So there was, you know, we were looking for larger companies. We were looking for ones that did a few million dollars that were similar to our tree company. We didn't want to buy one that had one. We didn't want to buy one that did 21. We wanted one that did like, you know, three or $5 million. That was like a small, you know, smaller landscape maintenance company, but that would have a, an actual set management in place. Yeah. So through looking, there was one of them that did high end. So we always, when we did the interior plant maintenance, always targeted high end customers. Mm-hmm. Always. My brother particularly always liked doing high-end design. So there was one that did high-end landscaping. So we're like, oh, what's this one? We looked into it. It actually was a company called Diaz Brothers. And Diaz Brothers did high-end landscape maintenance in Broward County and Palm Beach County. And installations. And installations. They were very well known. And we, the tree company, actually were a sub of Diaz Brothers. So it gave us an insight that I actually knew some of their properties at the time. And I was like, wow. I mean, all the account managers that I meet are exceptional. Their properties look amazing. Like it seems like this is like too good to be true almost. So that was the business that we actually ended up looking into was specifically high-end, good reputation. It was a landscape uh, maintenance company that started actually as more of an installation company that they just did only high-end installations, but by default of doing the installation, you have to do the maintenance. And that's really how the company had grown. Can I mention something that you left out? Yes, fact checker. You left out that we also purchased a pest control and fertilization company the year after we bought the tree company, which was Maximum Pest and Fertilization. I would check that fact. I don't think it was one year. Okay, year and a half? I would still check that fact. No. (laughs) We bought Maximum before we bought Dias. That's a, that's my only point. So okay. two companies before we bought a landscape company. To answer okay. your question, though, succinctly, um, is, you know, I think that there is something to be said about willing it, uh, making a lot of strides and steps towards it, and it will come to you. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you, your question was, you know, how did you end up doing this? How did you end up doing it? I think, like, if you put it out there, sort of like into the universe, I know that sounds corny, but I think if you do that in every way, which is what John and I did, I think it it comes to you. It figures out. You know what I mean? The problem mm-hmm. gets solved. You get what you want. You know that sort of thing. And then once we got the landscape company, we took oh, those couple million uh, dollars of revenue and put it into the landscape. They're like, 
got another uh, burst of business right when we started. Yeah. Answer it a little bit more, I think, accurately, fact checker, is that- That would make me not a fact checker. Just I know. So you know. I'm fact checking this actually. All right. So we purchased it for the people, right? Okay. It was yep. actually the reason we did it. We did it Yeah. we didn't have management in landscaping. We were subbing it out and we had that couple million dollars worth of business that we could instantly bring into that company. So the reason for buying it was I was too busy with the tree company. He was too busy with the insul- with the uh, interior plant maintenance, flower shops, all that stuff. So we needed a company that had management. So yeah. This company had management. And what the key was is to staying with the right customers is that everyone at this particular company, it wasn't a blended company that did like half commercial, half high end. Right. Everyone mm-hmm. there was targeted at only doing very specific high end perfect detailed work. And mm. I knew this for a fact because I actually knew yeah. the properties that they did. Right. It was super helpful. The other thing, John, was um, that we wanted it to be a company that had a good percentage of maintenance and a good percentage of installation. We had looked at other companies. In fact, we almost bought a really large company that did multi, well, multi Before you get into that, can I finish what I was saying? Sure. So- but well, they didn't have a good percentage. They didn't. The percentage wasn't right in our opinion of the installation. What was the right percentage? Go. No, he asked you. He asked us. Yeah, but I know, but you you brought it up. Okay, so oh, I just thought you wanted to say. No, so I wanted to say something this else. company. So I'm sorry, but I'll just say. So the company that was like this company that was doing like 16 or 20 million dollars, I forget of like the amount of business they were doing. They were bringing in literally like 75 percent of it was landscape installation and 25% was maintenance. And so it like kind of frightened us. We almost bought that company, but we kind of thought that that's like out of whack. That's not balanced. And mm. so uh, Dias was doing like 60% maintenance and like 40% installation. Interesting. So you, your thoughts were, and I'm curious, why is it that you thought it would be better to have more maintenance than landscape install? I felt like, you know, because you want, more of the money coming in every month that you can count on and you can build on the landscape installation. I like mm. to have a base to make sure that you have that money coming in like an annuity every month. We yeah. We're comfortable with that because remember we came from doing business with these flower shops and we already did interior plant maintenance and interior plant maintenance. You have that annuity every month with that mm-hmm. money coming in and the landscape, uh, excuse me. And then the tree company, what we learned from the tree company was you don't have that. You don't have that annuity. Every customer you do once a year, but then once a year, you, if you get the customer back, but you really don't have, you can't count on it all the time. There's a long way to go from when you do the work on uh, January 15th to go to January 15th, the next year to do the same work for that same customer. They say bye-bye to you. And for a whole nother year. So we learned that and realized, you know, the maintenance and the annuity and the recurring revenue is like very important. Wouldn't you say that that was really part of the reason that we bought it with the percentages so much more equal that, that really played into our thoughts. <laughs> the reason we didn't buy, there's a couple of things going through my head. So I, and I still want to answer the other original question first, okay. but to answer what Jeff <laughs> is saying, the larger company we didn't purchase ultimately because their net was three point something percent on seven. It was like $17 million, which was oh, absolutely wow. ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. And uh, the company uh, definitely was not, it seemed to be very well structured and organized, and it, but it didn't seem to make sense, a lot of the information. So the reason we didn't ultimately buy it was partially because 
there was so much invested into one person who was mm. selling the installations. Yeah. You know, I don't see a problem of having any certain split of installation mm-hmm. versus maintenance. I do have a problem if you have one particular salesperson who is directly in charge of that. You had mm-hmm. three people that did $5 million a piece. I would think that's you the first know, Listen to me. But it, you are talking as of what you know now. But right. at the time, at the time. It was the net. That was the reason we did not No, I know that. But at the time, it was a very big issue with us. We, we did discuss, and it was a very big point, about that the landscape you know, installation was so much more of a percentage than the maintenance. You don't remember that being like a I, major thing? I do. I remember thinking to myself, they do jobs that are $500,000, but they only right. make $500,000. So I, I thought to myself, the cash flow would be absolutely horrible. Yep. Yeah. Just because that, that's how low the net was. Go back to what you yeah. wanted to so say before. Back to what I was saying before. <clears throat> so, you know, we targeted specifically wanting to do high end. And you said, how do you target high end? Right. Mm -hmm. So we targeted it specifically by knowing our local competition, Mm -hmm. being aware uh, that they were for sale by contacting a business broker. And thirdly, understanding their core business, that that's the reason the employees and the managers work there. So mm-hmm. when we first came in, that is what we focused on is empowering them to do more of what they particularly feel the direction is for the business. Because at the time when we purchased the business, it was approximately 40 or 50 people that worked there. That's why the people work there. They work there yeah. because they loved doing high end. There were right. some commercial properties that they did, um, but it, it was like five out of a hundred. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was, mm-hmm. it was really like absolutely nothing. So yeah. you know, our model going into it of how do you directly target it, it is empowering the people that you're actually hiring to really keep doing more of what they want to do and not mm. trying to change the focus to your focus, but to what the focus is already of the direction of the ship instead of trying to change the direction of it. Yeah. Another question to that is, you know, you spoke to the the value of the annuity of uh, maintenance, but then the reality that we have today of uh, challenging labor market uh, since COVID. So did you guys experience any of those challenges with, uh, you know, just labor uh, shortages or how did you navigate that time? So as far as the annuity portion that Jeff mentioned, it is important if you want to continue to grow your business and to be able to gain attention and to be able to have all of the best people in your business, you do need more dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it by having more dollars, you can have the person who makes $100,000 or more, right? You don't need five of them, but you might need a few of them into your, in your business. And yeah. the thing is, is that if you strictly only go after one type of customer in one fashion, you're only going to be able to bring in so many dollars where you can only have an account manager that's $50,000 versus a business developer who might make $100,000. So it is important to me that you you have to be making sure that each portion of the business is being built to be able to manage and have all of the different types of people that really can come into your business. You didn't answer his question though. His question was, did we have an issue because of COVID 
with losing employees and having yeah, employees. Well, it wasn't there yet. All right. Well, I just didn't know where you were going with it. I'm just, I'm gone. <laughs> and it's, I was going to say, it's, it's easier to keep a guy that's in the, that account manager role than it is to keep labor, but labor is the thing that keeps the business going. Mm-hmm. Well, so all of it plays into one another though. So what are all employees looking for? They're looking for security, which security isn't status quo. Security isn't the business staying exactly where it's at. Security is seeing the business grow and being excited and interested into their business, being prideful of their business. Those Mm -hmm. are all different things that I think add towards retention. Also too, is there has to be a way for every single person that works in your company to be able to make more money. If there is no way for them to make more money, there isn't a reason for them to stay in your business because there is someone else out there that will likely pay them more money. So why would somebody stay at your company? Well, let's say you hire somebody who's uh, a driver with no experience. You hire them at $14 or $15 an hour, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to nurture that. The person wants to be in the industry. So if if let's just say you're not investing into them, and they're not actually advancing in their career, they're just going to yeah. look somewhere else because you're moving on to the other employee or the other situation. And you're not focusing on making sure that they're getting either every six months or every year, they're getting reviews to where they actually can make more money and right. actually giving them more money. So right. how can you give more money? Well, yeah, they make more money. <laughs> you, have to bring, you have to bring in more money. So you can either yeah. charge more to your customers mm-hmm. you can diversify through doing installations which have typically a higher profit margin. And that extra higher profit margin can help feed that portion of the business also too, as far as maybe some of the increases that you haven't seen. So for us specifically to answer your question, yes, we... Please answer the question. Fact checker, be quiet. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, I, I'm appreciating all your buildup. Don't worry. No, he's very, he's very good. He's very smart and has lots of valuable information. I just want to make sure he answers your question. <laughs> so... <laughs> Through COVID, uh, for us specifically, okay, this is- Oh, that's what the question was about, okay. (laughs) Through COVID specifically, right? We had grown our business significantly in each category, right? So when COVID happened, we ultimately took charge as leaders and we had a plan of what we Mm. were going to do. We had a pipeline of work that was already set in place. Mm -hmm. And through COVID, because we had- because we were proactive in our business before COVID happened, we were set up that right when it did happen, nothing changed in our business really. Mm. Maybe some of the precautions, how we spoke to our employees, how we were conscious of understanding um, them as people, their personal, their professional, their financial needs, all these different things. We were there to obviously be an ear to be able to help support them. But ultimately, that's also where retention goes. So COVID was now two years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would say because we were able to keep our business at the same level during, let's say, the six-month like really crazy period of COVID, Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. kept it at the same level at that time. All of those 200-plus employees have now earned another level of trust for us and our business. Mm -hmm. So our turnover... From COVID to right now would be, I would say, less than 5% of people wow. that have actually been turned over. We have had management uh, turnover in certain mm-hmm. sectors of the business. Just but that's been improvement. That, that hasn't been, that wasn't turned, like turnover there's to no me is- but. There's no but that was. I was explaining. 
that we've had management turnover. And the reason we've had management turnover is because frankly, those people weren't good enough. And it doesn't mean they weren't good enough. Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm measuring them on, they weren't good enough, meaning like they have to measure to me. I am. I'm, they, I'm measuring with how good they need to, to be to help the business. They need to me- exactly. They need to measure to help the business and mm-hmm. to keep doing to, because like John said, in the part where he wasn't answering the question, he was giving you lots of great information um, that the business has to evolve. And if there's people that are sort of like not wanting to evolve and wanting to stand in the way and not wanting to participate in making everything better for everybody and not just themselves, they need to hit the road and go somewhere else. And we need to hire someone else for that position. And we've done that. Yeah. So it's a, yeah. to go back to the COVID also too, is the people is one aspect at our particular level that we are at. It is really based upon the leadership and the direction that you're forging forward that you have to make sure that you can sustain, right? Because you have now aligned people with your company that believe in you and believe in the business because they've Mm -hmm. already been there. Like, you know, someone who's been in a business for a year obviously has respect for you as an owner. They have respect for their management or the quality of work or a combination of those particular different things. So how do you keep them to stay there? You have to move past the employees and you really have to go into the management and the strategicness of the business that how do you keep it at the same level and or more? And the thing is, that is a very proactive stage where it goes to what Jeff said that you have to actually analyze, is your management able to continue to grow, diversify, and develop the actual business to continue to move it forward? Because Mm -hmm. it is an to make a safe, comfortable, and uh, fun work environment isn't that hard with advancement. That's really yeah. all the people that are looking for in the field are looking for. Mm. So can you create that? Yeah, that's relatively easy, right? At a certain point. But then when you come out of the field and you become into the office, then it actually becomes harder because mm-hmm. now you have to figure out how to pay for that person. And then when you bring on your first manager... How do they manage the people? But then they actually need to bring in more sales. And then that's when mm-hmm. the, the problems start to become actually how the business is going to sustain and continue its direction at the mm-hmm. level that it's at or higher, where that's where we saw a lot of turnover in our business. Mm-hmm. And we were noticing that there were people that weren't pulling their weight, weren't as engaged, and they were looking- Or just an asshole, honestly. Person was just a fucking asshole. And they weren't there to be part of the team. There's no like, you know, fancy way to say it. I'm going to leave you today with something that we try to do every day. We want to be productive, profitable, and fun. And to me, that's how you run a business because without the productive, you're not going to make any money. Without the profitable, there is no money. And without the fun, there's no motivation for either. Yeah. So, (laughs) all right. So one thing I actually want to go over with you actually is I saw this uh, recently. I thought you'd think this, I think you both will think this is interesting. Okay. okay. Jonathan, right. do you have any questions actually before I go into this? Uh, no, no, I, I probably do, but it just depends on how much time we have left. He's afraid he's going to get a 15 minute answer without answering his question. <laughs> Fact checker, be quiet. <laughs> yeah. If you want to go, go ahead. I have a question after though. Okay. Uh, go right ahead. I have it in front of me in the uh, black okay. and white here. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So that, um, I guess the, the the question I have is uh, so given this you know where your business is today, what's the the level of of day to day involvement that you have, and what are you doing as far as like meeting with 
your team? What are some of the things that you're doing to keep your management team excited, keep them on track, keep them engaged? What so are you doing? To me, Jeff? this is a very quick answer. Okay. To me, it's a very long answer. Yes. Oh <laughs> I don't have the time for it on this particular podcast. So it's a very quick answer for me. Honestly, you need to develop a relationship with all of these people. Right. You can be the boss and so on and so forth, but we are all humans. And you need to convey to them that we're all created equally and you need to be equal to them. There is a pecking order at a business. We happen to be the owners, but if you really try to connect with people and really make a relationship and let them know that you really do care, it mm-hmm. really, really, really um, makes a world of difference and people really buy into you and your business. Mm-hmm. If you have that genuineness about you, I think that John and I do, I know that we do. And I think that's really what's been able to connect without all the other parts about it. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of other things, but I think that's what it boils down to. Yeah. So go John, ahead. you got your very long answer. Yes. <laughs> so I would say... What was the question again? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No. So I would say what Jeff is saying, but I, I, I don't think I exactly agree. So you really have to be a leader of the direction of the business and you need to provide a role and everyone Mm -hmm. needs to understand what your role is. And it is Mm -hmm. okay that your role isn't the accounting or the sales or the whatever, but you have to perform a role and you have to mm. make sure that it empower each other person in their role that they are good at. That so, goes without saying. And that's like why you I have said, to be as the leader, the person who is, is orchestrating these people. That's how you become the leader. So mm-hmm. Jeff, you are good at sales. Don't do this. You need to do this. No, but that, that what you're saying is true, but it goes without saying, but really what gets people I don't think to anything buy goes without in. Saying. No, it does. Because when obviously to have a company that's successful like these and to have as many people as we've got, you know, obviously what you're saying is is correct. But anyone who understands that would know that, that, that they need to do what you said. I think what people don't realize is you can't just do that on a one dimensional basis. You have to, besides doing that, you have to have, and you know that you have, and so do I, a really beautiful and nice relationship with every single one of the management individuals that are at our business. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you talk to so them for hours. And it, it doesn't mean you're the counselor. It just means that they know you care about them, care about their life. You're happy they're here. But that goes it, without saying. I like that's even I, crazy, I, I think. absolutely disagree with you. And I would argue with you until the cows come home. I, think I would like go, someone to check this fact. Go to, I feel like that goes with that. Go to other companies. In fact, we've been told this by a bunch of these employees that at other companies, you get the feeling that the owners don't give a fuck about them. And Why are you swearing? Because that, that's what I do. And uh, they don't give a shit. What are you about swearing at, by the way? It just, it, it's, it's exciting to me that we do care so much about these people. And I think that that's one of the distinct differences about when people leave here. A lot of times when they leave, if they are leaving for a particular reason or if there's a problem, they get upset because they want to stay because they really do like us and they really appreciate how we run and we care about everybody, even people that aren't the management. They see how we treat everyone. They see how we reinvest money into the business. They see that how everything is taken so well care of that we reinvest money into the properties. People talk to us about this all the time. And I think that means a lot to the people that are here. I think that's the key. That's my answer. Hmm. You said you had. Well, I want to say my answer still though, because I don't okay. think to me, I feel like, so I've attracted a lot of people in our, in our business that I've known in the industry. So how have I attracted to them 
to our business. I've done it by being myself, which is just genuinely nice and outgoing and taking an interest in people, which I think anybody who is actually anybody understands you need to develop relationships, right? Whether you do or you don't is up to you. But if you want to be successful, it is about developing relationships. And Mm -hmm. if somebody wants to get in a relationship with an owner that particularly is shallow, then that's, that's what you're getting in bed with. And a lot of times people that work for companies like that are typically just hired by like, just based upon money and compensation. And the thing is, is that at a certain level, maybe someone who's in their thirties or forties, they might go for that. But people who are really unbelievably skilled and knowledgeable in the industry that are maybe in their forties and their fifties might not actually feel that same way. They're looking to make sure that they find the right company to work for that shares with what they know the industry can be. Mm-hmm. So speaking that language, whenever I've gone to all of my arborist conventions, all of these landscaping different things, all these networking different things, me expressing my particular passion for the industry, our direction, them physically seeing our staying power in the industry, our growth in the industry, asking questions of them, asking questions of me. It's really, it goes into the developmental stages of the business. And mm-hmm. I particularly met somebody um, recently who I was friends with in the industry and uh, somebody who might, he might actually be leaving his company to come work for us. Oh, wow. So I had never, um, never asked him specifically if he'd want to come work for us because I didn't really know what he would do. And I uh, mentioned to him actually just recently if he actually, I asked him point blank if he'd want to come work for us because I had an exact idea of what he actually would do in our company that would help our company and help him do what he wants to do and what he wants to accomplish in the industry that mm-hmm. I know that he's been, he's been stifled to do. Okay. You've done a very good job of recruiting people that you have known in the industry and they do know you as being a professional and someone who handles yourself a certain way and who is consistent. However, when they do come in to the company and begin working here, the reason I think part of the reason they stay is because they form a much deeper relationship with it's not just what they see on the surface, which is when they knew you outside of it, but now working with you, there's so much more to it. And they see the care and appreciation that the two owners have for everybody who participates, whether it's higher management or people who are working out in the fields, you know, digging, digging ditches. And uh, I think that it all works together. I just feel like it goes without saying that you have a, a professional and very uh, good company. You need to obviously set goals and set straight what you want people to accomplish, but to actually care, you know, human beings at the end of the day. Yeah, but I think that's, the, that's the feel, least thing that people do is set goals. Oh, I think. They just like, oh yeah, what's the goal? I want to sell more. That's not really a goal. Well, I know, John, but you are someone when you set goals, they're very specific. I mean, you're, this is like what you hyper-focus on. Most people don't. Most people's goals are, yeah, I just want to like, do sales. I just want to concentrate on getting more business. They don't laser in on, okay, well, that's to you, that's a broad topic. To some people, that's like specific. I want to do sales. I'm talking about specifically, I think all of the things that you said are right. I just think that the key is that when you have human beings that you can appeal to their emotions and to their feelings and being cared about uh, at work, every human being wants to be appreciated, acknowledged, and cared about. And Mm -hmm. I think that when you do show that to them, genuinely, 
I think it makes a world of a difference. And if they are the right employee, like a good person, not a bad person, I think that speaks volumes to them. I really do. And that's the experience that I've had over all the time that I've been in business. Yeah. Thank you for expressing. You're welcome. Would you please say what you're going to say? <laughs> no, I don't need to go over this. Jonathan, it was really, it's really been great having you on the show um, today. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Same. And I really yeah. hope we've helped you actually today. I know you've asked us some direct questions for our business. Usually we're more interested in asking you questions, uh, but I'm typically very long-winded sometimes and I can give very long and detailed answers. All the time. But you know. Not sometimes, all the time. But it's great because he's very smart and he has a lot of really great things to say. Thanks, fact checker. No, you do. He has really, he really is very, very smart and has a lot of wonderful things to say. And I can see that you uh, really enjoyed listening to a lot of the information that you were uh, given today. You asked a lot of really good questions. So thank you. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to learn. Jonathan, thank you again for joining us on the Cultivating Success podcast today. How do people get in touch I, with you? Jonathan? I definitely would like to make sure, shh, fact checker. All right. Oh boy. I definitely uh, would like to obviously maybe pick this conversation up again, where we're actually asking you some more questions yeah. uh, about your business and how you've grown it, because I think that that would be very helpful for our community of listeners and people that are actually learning about the landscaping field. So I think we're actually going to need to pick this up again Great. sometime in the near future. How do people get in touch with you, Jonathan? Jonathan, how can people get in touch with you? <laughs> well, I would love to come back and talk to you guys some more because I think even though I own a landscape business. I also own a coffee roasting business. The thing that gets me most excited is uh, going back to when I was talking about being in burnout and finding a passion. Um, I've become passionate and zealous about helping other business owners cultivate joy in the work that they do, uh, building good teams and being able to provide great products for their clients. And so that's you know, something I'm doing now, meeting with other business owners and helping them to grow. Obviously, the level of scale I'm capable of uh, is limited by the ceiling I have, but I can help other guys to that level. And I'm learning, wanting to learn and grow, which is why I enjoyed asking you guys questions and hearing about just what's possible. But uh, to get a hold of us, we're in Gainesville, Florida. The name of our company is Lawnmower Gainesville, and you can find us uh, at our website, lawnmowergainesville.com. L-A-W-N-M-O-R-E.com. Yep. That's it. Gainesville. Gainesville. LawnmoreGainesville.com. That's it. Got it. Jonathan, thanks again for joining us. Look forward to talking to you again soon, okay? All right. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. This has been the Cultivating Success Podcast with Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson. To learn more about Jeff and Jonathan and their businesses, visit www.naturesexperts.com.